And then he specifically talks about the nature of the nuclear family. It's made up of a wife, a husband, and how they interact, and then children, and how they're supposed to treat their parents, and then how parents, fathers, are supposed to treat their children, right? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that you are on, whether you like it or not. Your faith is either growing or shrinking every single day. And we want to be part of your plan in your spiritual growth because what you believe about yourself is one of the most important things about you. And that can make a huge impact on how you perceive every single day of your life. And a lot of that comes through daily devotion to growing your faith. And we want to be part of that. We want to come alongside you to encourage you to um, challenge you, to entertain you a little bit with some witty commentary, but ultimately (laughs) we want to be part of your spiritual growth here at the Salty Pastor Podcast. My name is Jason Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, (laughs) Dr. (laughs) Douglas Peake. Hey, welcome everybody. It's good to be with you. I was off last week and uh, Pastor Harv stepped in, did a great job. We appreciate him oh so much on closing out our series about the power and the glory, which really focuses on the authority that Jesus Mm. has because of who he is, what he did, and then his empowerment of the church. So very excited about that. I'm glad that everybody's joining us on the Salty Pastor. Absolutely. And we are kicking off our brand new series, The Unmodern Family. The Unmodern Family. And this is basically part of this idea that we're doing uh, all throughout this year is we have a yearly theme titled The Kingdom of God. And each of our series plays into that idea somehow. And we just apply the kingdom of God to a specific topic. So this one, Mm -hmm. we're going to be studying for four weeks the biblical implications of family within the kingdom of God. And we're going to try to answer questions like, is there a difference between the world's values? Values and God's kingdom values when it comes mm-hmm. to family. Uh, how do you take kingdom values and apply them to your family and then gauge their impact on your family? Mm-hmm. And what difference does it make in your life when it comes to how you define your family and how do you strengthen your family? Yeah. And I think uh, family is one of the most influential things that you have in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can just start with just basic research that affects everybody, doesn't matter what you believe, what your religion is, what your ethnicity, what language you speak. Uh, one of the most universal aspects of the human experience is the influence of your family on you. It, yeah. it determines what language you speak, uh, how you view the world, your personal identity, uh, what you value and what you don't value, um, how much you think your own life has value, meaning, purpose, and direction, how much money you're going to make, what you might do for a career and your throughout your whole life is influenced by your family, your moral compass, what's right and wrong, uh, your worldview on, on what's the point and purpose of life, and ultimately how happy, how much joy you have in life is highly impacted by your family. Well, let's lay a foundation if we're going to start this new series. Foundations are important. So where does the idea or I guess the concept of family Mm -hmm. even come from, Pastor? Well, we live in a day and age where everybody's trying to redefine, remake, and reorganize everything, you know, and so it doesn't mean anything. But in reality, there's approximately 7,000 years of recorded human history. Okay. Okay? About 7,000 years ago, 7,000, 8,000 years ago, three cultures exploded onto the scene. Okay. okay. All three at once, which is kind of odd because Noah had how many sons? Three. 
very good. <laughs> and suddenly uh, the, they exploded on. And, and you look back, you have these ancient Mesopotamian tribes and uh, you have some ancient uh, sub-African uh, groups, civilizations, long and short of it is, uh, you look at all of the recorded human history, whether it's myth, uh, uh, creation events, uh, it talks about family. You can look at the uh, Code of Hammurabi, you can look at a lot of some really ancient um, Greek you know, uh, poems, ancient writings, there is a there's an artifact called the Sto uh, the, uh, the Queen of Purambi or Purumbi. I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but and then of course you have one of the most ancient literatures out there, and that is the Book of Genesis, the mm. creation account in the Old Testament, particularly the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. And what you see is in the Book of Genesis is you see the formation of the nuclear family when it says God created the male and female, and then it says that you know uh, you have man and then you have woman because they are of the same essence. She was taken out of man. It says for this reason, and and so then he has this statement right there in the second chapter of Genesis where he says, because, you know, there's a male and a female, it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father. So he has a mom and dad that, that is in a family unit. He leaves it. He cleaves to his wife. The two become one flesh. So they not only become one flesh spiritually, but also they birth a child. Right. And, and so we see very, very early on in human history, the formation in all ancient literature the, the nuclear family. Now, as New Testament Christians, our question is this, is that the Old Testament exists to point to Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's a part of our Bible. And so then the question is, is that we have to reaffirm something in the new, if you read something in the Old Testament and it's not reaffirmed in the New Testament or addressed in the New Testament, then, then that's, a, that's an issue or a question. That's why the dietary laws in Leviticus don't apply to Christians today, mm. right? Because yeah. Paul specifically writes, it says, none of the dietary laws are in effect today. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that, that's how you kind of look at it. In, but in Matthew chapter 19, it's really interesting because Jesus reiterates the nuclear family. It says some Pharisees, verse three, some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, asking. So you got to understand this is try to a gotcha question, mm -hmm. right? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no person separate. So they said to him, why then did Moses command her to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, well, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. And Jesus said, <laughs> well, not all men can accept this statement, but but only those to whom it's been given to their eunuchs uh, who were born that way from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by people. And there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. The one who was able to accept it, let him accept it. So then some children were brought to him and that he would lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, leave the children alone. Do not forbid them to come to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. 
And after laying his hands on him, he departed from there. So Matthew is taking this entire chunk of Matthew chapter 19. He's talking about Jesus is basically talking about the nuclear family. We've got children. We've got the relationship between a male and a female and how they're supposed to cleave together, become one flesh. Mm -hmm. So you see all of these themes Jesus directly addressing and to the point where he says it's not good to to disrupt what god has formed right right? so god has formed this don't let someone disrupt it separate it tear it apart because it's not meant to be that way which is so that tells us a lot about the importance and significance of the nuclear family we can go all the way back to genesis but also for christians who are following christ we see his teaching about the nuclear family and its critical importance yeah i mean really this structure has been set up and he calls back to it you know he said this is what god said in the beginning this is how it should be and then there were cultural ways to get out of it and that was partially due to just the way we operate because we're sinful creatures and we tend to distort things that are good and pure anyways Mm -hmm. and so the divorce became a thing right and so jesus at this point calls back and says no really you should stay together this is critically important and 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 focus on the children um because the children come to him immediately afterwards right and he Mm -hmm. says these are these are who everything's about for heaven right like don't Mm -hmm. keep them from me and today's society is basically throwing all that out the window and saying nope divorce because it's a wednesday and you're tired and you know you're annoyed about things and yeah you know the kids they'll be fine we'll just have the government raise them like all these different things have been kind of put into our society of that marriage doesn't really matter and you can marry anything i mean the thing when i was growing up was i think was it scotty pippen no, there was that no. basketball player that tried to yeah. marry himself. Yeah, yeah, he was the center for yeah. uh, for the me. Chicago Bulls. Yeah, what was his name? I can't remember. It wasn't Scottie Pippen, but it was the other guy. I can't remember his name. But, yeah, you're going to look it up real quick. I'm, look, I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman, yeah. So, And now you can just marry yourself. So, I mean, I guess that yeah. technically falls under that eunuch statement that he came I out, guess. But, um, so, yeah, I think... We're seeing how veering away from this ancient family structure really is impacting us today. Well, and all society is built around that. Every society that you go back in history, didn't matter what their religious perspective was, whether they were pagans, whether they were whatever, is that the societies that thrived had a couple things that were commonalities, and the commonalities that they had that caused them to thrive was their protection uh, and of the nuclear family, mm. you know, they, they had laws, they had principles, values that protected the formation of a nuclear family, the creation of children and the raising of children. Okay. Um, and today what we see uh, in America is all the research says the same thing. We'll talk more about this on Thursday is that it's all, it, it all proves that the best, the best outcome for any kid is to grow up with their parents, mm. right. In a household. And, and so, you know, there's a lot to learn about it in the New Testament, why this value is so important. Paul talks a lot uh, about it, but what's interesting is the way he does it. And the way he does it, and this is really important, Under uh, it's an exegetical principle, meaning it's a, it's, something you need, it's a tool you need to have to understand the nature of his teaching. And that is, he argues all of his teaching about the family from an unspoken pre- premise. 
What was the unspoken premise? Well, that he accepted without question the creation narrative of the nuclear family. Now, once you understand this unspoken premise, in which he does all of his teaching, everything becomes clear. And what becomes completely clear is his investment in maintaining the strength and health of the family. This is why in Ephesians chapter three, verse 14, he says, for this reason, I bend my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So he's saying, okay, the creation of the family was God's idea. He started it in the creation event. It's happening now. Christ talks about it. He goes, and then he says, uh, he gets a blessing. In Colossians chapter three, he says this. He goes, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. In addition to all of these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father." Now, what does this have to do with the family? Well, this obviously is a very specific call to live a Christian life, right? Mm. You need to live this way, adopt these values, walk in these things. Here's the point of, of what it means to follow Jesus and interact with other people. And then verse 18, he immediately says this, wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not become bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in everything, and for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not antagonize your children so that they will not become discouraged. So you you notice what he does is he says, okay, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to him, to God the Father. So what do we... then he talks about the family and then he specifically talks about the nature of the nuclear family. It's made up of a wife, a husband and how they interact and then children and how they're supposed to treat their parents and then how parents, fathers are supposed to treat their children. Right. Mm. And then you see the exact same pattern expanded more in Ephesians. Now in chapter five verses one through 21, he talks about how to live as followers of Christ. You got to take off the old and put on the new. You've got to endeavor to have the fruits of the spirit. You know, he talks about all of these things that come out of following Christ. And then in verse 22, he says, wives, be subject to your husbands to the Lord. And then he goes on and says, husbands, you need to love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church. Okay. And then in verse one, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may turn out well for you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Mm. I mean, that's a lot of biblical teaching on family, which obviously that puts some emphasis on it. Like they don't talk about it unless it's important, right? Correct. If, If you could just do whatever you wanted in your family, 
they wouldn't have made definitions. Correct. Everything in the everything in the Bible has a purpose of yes. being there, right? Yes. And so talk to me about some of the principles that stand out for us today based on what you've just talked about. Well, I think you look at all of these passages. You look at Matthew chapter 19, you look at Colossians chapter 3, you look at Ephesians chapter 5 into the end of 5 into chapter 6, and what you see is a pattern that is established, okay? And there's, it always begins with a theology or an understanding of who we are in Christ. When we become followers of Christ, we're redeemed, we're changed. Okay. And this has an implication on how we are to live as people. And then that theological transformation extends to our most important earthly relationships. And this is a direct causal link between the two. And that's the idea of the nuclear family. So if you know Christ and you're married and you have children, this is how you should act. And notice the order that he starts with. And I think the order is important in both Ephesians and Colossians. He says, and Jesus talks, you know, mentions it as the foundation in Matthew 19 is that is it, it starts with a male and a female bonding together. Mm-hmm. Okay. We call that marriage, right? So we have a marriage. And so that's the first principle. that's very critical is that, uh, the theology of marriage is the foundation for a healthy nuclear family. And this is why there's so much ceremony, tradition, mystique, custom around marriage is that when you boil all that stuff down, dating and courting from past centuries in different cultures and how they do it and and what they want to do, it all comes down to one thing. And that is the goal is to maintain the efficacy the health of that relationship between a husband and wife, mm. because that's the foundation on which everything is built, right? Then what happens is that what I find really interesting is if you have children, the second principle in this order is how children are supposed to react to their parents. Okay. Isn't that interesting? So it starts with a marriage, and then once children come into it, the children are told, this is how you're supposed to react to your parents. And it's about respect and honor of your parents. Obey your parents, right? Then it talks about parents' relationship to their children. Okay, fathers, don't exasperate your kids, right? Mm. So there's this, in the New Testament, this pattern is that the nuclear family starts with the marriage relationship, Then once children come into it, children are given an admonition and then parents are given an admonition towards children. So I think the first principle is that a strong and healthy family begins with a strong and healthy relationship between a male and a female. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges today in America is that we've strayed so far from the idea of a nuclear family. And like you said earlier, um, you know, people used to go through tremendous hardships in marriages and stay together, you know, and, and have a great marriage because they stuck with it. Uh, but today, you know, people are divorcing their spouse because they don't help out with chores or they don't make enough money or they, they don't meet all of their emotional needs, which I find that one interesting. And, and there's a study out there that I think is really important to understand. And what they did is they took, uh, I don't know, a large segment of couples, somewhere around five or 600 couples. So that's a large data pool that were all having marriage problems. 
Okay. They were, had all sought counseling for, you know, therapy in their marriage. Mm-hmm. And what they did is they tracked these people. So it was a longitudinal study. In other words, all they did was observe, you know, and touch base. They, they weren't trying to create an experiment to see if there was a different outcome. They just wanted to see what happened. And this is what they found. They found that half of the people got divorced. Okay. Half of the people stayed together. Okay. Five years after this happened, they go back, they talk to these people and this is what they found out is that everybody who got divorced, got divorced because they weren't happy and they wanted to be happy. And they asked them five years later, are you more happy than you were? And they say, no, universally, every single one. So divorce did not make them happy and moving on did not make them happy. Now this is just a study. Okay. Okay. Uh, but this is what's really interesting is people who wanted to get divorced, but didn't and stuck together five years later, over two thirds of them said they were happy now. Mm. I find that interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, through all of these ancient principles and, and biblical ones, it, if you take these ideas into today's society, it's going to be a pretty controversial topic, Pastor. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Like, I mean, just well, the idea of staying together is already kind of like a hot button, especially when you have people go out there saying marriage is slavery or you don't even need marriage. It's an ancient concept that yeah. doesn't require anything. And it's just for, you know, the only benefit is tax purposes. Well, it's really, it's really strange to me that something that in all cultures, you know, has been so important is it's only in Western cultures and particularly America in America where these ideas of, you know, the nuclear family and marriage are these things. Um, and when you trace these attitudes, they all go back to two, two things. One is third wave feminism, you know, and then you go back past that and it's cultural Marxism, you know, the Frankfurt school of critical theory in the thirties, you know, it came over because they were all Marxists. Okay. And they were in Germany, Frankfurt, <laughs> the University of Frankfurt. They saw the Nazi party rising up. And so they flew or fled, I guess is the better way to say it. Uh, and immigrated to America and got jobs at Columbia University. These three professors, one of them, Marcuse in particular. And so they just started, this is their philosophy. They were talking about their philosophy. Well, what happened is, is of course, World War II in 1945, it all comes to an end. And then the Cold War started with communists. And so being a Marxist and a communist in America at that time was not good. Right. Right. And then you had McCarthy going around trying to find communists everywhere. And a lot of people don't realize is that communism had a huge footprint in America, you know, prior to World War II. And so what happened is they didn't call it communism. They didn't call it Marxist ideology. They called it a critical theory. And then of course, what they did is Marxist uh, doctrine or Marxist ideology basically says that there are classes of people based on economics. And the, the problem is that never could take root in America because America was an equal opportunity place. And so people moved in and out of the middle class and out of middle class into the wealthy constantly up and down and stuff. So the middle class in America was always massive because you had all these people moving out of poverty into the middle class. So 
trying to get a, a, a class oppressor oppressed thing going never took root because nobody lived that experience. You know, they were, they got jobs, they started companies and businesses and they made money and they lived the American dream. So what happened is in the seventies is it, uh, it kind of, after the hippie movement, it morphed a little bit. And then in the late seventies, there was a professor at Harvard who was a lawyer and he started carving out an illegal thing, what he called critical race theory and critical race theory was since base, it was a shift. And since we can't get class, right. Oppressor and oppressed classes in America, what we can do is we can base it on race and then we use ethnicity. You have oppressor and oppressed, right? Okay. And that's based on your ethnicity, whether you're, you know, white or black or whatever. And they, they tried to use that to carve out a case law in which to have civil rights, uh, advancements. Okay. And, and so what happened is all of these attitudes have now come to fruition. It's really interesting. I've read, I've read art, uh, books and articles from people back in the uh, late forties and the fifties, and even in the sixties that saw these early trends and wrote about them. And they all predicted that we would be exactly where we are today. I mean, it's uncanny how accurate they are. Elton Trueblood, uh, Trueblood wrote a book called The Predicament of Modern Man. And he's describing what happened here. An atheist by the name of Aldous Huxley wrote a book called Brave New World, right? And he's an atheist and he sees it. And in that book, you know what he says? He says that if someone wants to have sex with you and you say no, then you're a bigot. How interesting does that sound? Is that, right. yeah, you don't have a right. Today, people are saying you have to accept whatever sexual expression I want. And if you don't support me, you're a, a, a phobic person, right? Right. It's your problem. And, and so an atheist by the name of Aldous Huxley in his book, Brave New World, talked about this. George Orwell talked about it in his book, 1984. And what's interesting, when he wrote this book, 1984 was the future. Now we look back and see 1984 was what, you know, back to the, back to the future right. movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but do you see what I'm saying is that what's happening is that these ideas were seeded into our culture through this critical theory. Now they've resulted in a destruction of the nuclear family. And a lot of people are not aware of this, but in the communist manifesto, one of his main principles is, is that in order for communism to take root and Marxist ideology to take root, you have to do what? destroy the nuclear family. So, and now what we see is we see some stats and we'll talk more about this on uh, Thursday is that uh, some new research came out. I believe it's out of Cornell. It says that by 2030, so in eight years, 52% of all marriageable women Women between the ages of 20 and 55, over 50% will be single hmm. and never married. Wow. So what, what we're saying is we're, we're turning into a society that is not based on nuclear families. It's not the majority anymore. Now we'll talk more about why that is, but what happens, what happens to children when they're raised in a non-nuclear family? What, you know, it, it's become controversial to point that out. And what's sad is that the church 
even though this is biblical teaching, doesn't teach this because the church doesn't want to offend all these people that they want to become Christians. You know, it's like, look here at Foothills, we have a big commitment to single moms. We do a lot to support single moms, but the one thing we don't do is tell single moms that, well, your family is exactly like any other family and it's not any different. We don't tell them that. And that's why a lot of single moms come here as we go, look, you got extra challenges and the outcomes for you are not as good as a nuclear two parent family. And so that's why we're here as a church is to help you recognize that and overcome that. Mm. Right. But you're going to have to do a little extra work and it's tough when you're on your own, but we're here to support you and care about you. But the one thing we're not going to do is just lie to you and tell you that everything's fine and peachy keen. Don't worry about it. Right. It, It, that that's not, that's not biblical. It's not Christian. We, we have to be sober people. We have to address the truth. And only then can we figure out how to overcome the gravity that pulls people down. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so blended families, blended families are tough. You know, uh, you can find a church where you go to says, well, we don't care. Blended families, we treat them all the same. It doesn't make any difference. Well, okay. Your blended family has different challenges than a nuclear fam- uh, an original nuclear family. Absolutely. It has totally different challenges. And, and so if you deny that truth, is that helpful to you as a person or as a family? No, I don't think so at all. Mm. Um, cause then you're trying, you're comparing yourself apples to oranges to something that you could never be. And then your challenges are different and you think, Oh, there's something wrong with me. No, your challenges are different because you're in a different place. Uh, it's not as good as an outcome, but that doesn't mean you can't make it great. Right. right. Cause everything is redeemable. Everything God is in the business of redemption, but the way we find redemption is not by denying reality, but by embracing reality. That's called the truth. And once we embrace reality and embrace the truth, then what that does is that allows us then to realize, okay, here are things that I can do in order to live redeemed and let God give space for God to do his thing. But if we deny reality and we deny the truth, guess what? We don't give God any space to do what? To work and to redeem and to bring newness. We don't give him any space to do that because we're basically saying when we deny reality and truth is that God, you're wrong. I'm right. Do it my way. Right. Well, thank you, Pastor, so much for sharing with us. I'm excited for this new series talking all about families and why it's important to uh, be an unmodern family in yes. today's culture. Thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you next or on Thursday here Thursday. on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.